if it's on or if I see it streaming or something like that, then I can sit and I can watch it without having to fast forward it or getting bored with it. Um, because in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions, it's one of the few perfect movies. And that movie is Back to the Future. And it's an incredible movie. And I'm not going to bore you, because it wouldn't bore you. It fascinates you with the story. But many people consider it to be a perfect movie because if you look at the cast of characters, the casting director did a spot-on job hitting all of the characters. The cinematography is great. The costume directors did a great job. There's humor. There's suspense. There's romance. There's action. There's all sorts of everything you could ever want in a movie. And I love Back to the Future because of it. But Back to the Future does not become one of the perfect movies ever made without one key element. It has to have a perfect storyline, right? It's got to have a great story that keeps you engaged. Otherwise, it's nothing. And, and as I watch other movies that have better actors better directors, better music, better cinematography, but the story lacks, it just doesn't carry the same weight. And so when I think about that, what I realize is it's not necessarily all those other things that I really love, it's the fact that I love story. I love hearing a good story. I love watching a good story. I love something that keeps my attention because the story is so good. The narrative is so strong. I love it. When I read books, I lean more towards books that are a story than like self-help books because they bore me. Story is important. And if you listen to the word history, you see that there is story in history. It tells a story. And the Bible is telling a story. It's the narrative of the gospel. And each of us are a part of that story, especially when we become a believer in Jesus Christ. We become part of that story. And then it is our duty to then turn around and tell that story. And this is where things in going all in in the Christian life really get difficult. You know, last week I said it was really difficult because we're going to hit your pocketbook. But now we're going to hit your comfort zone. Because we're going to talk about telling your story, telling your testimony, telling your your, story. telling people about Jesus. We're talking about evangelism today. And the reason it gets difficult and tough is, one, it takes you out of your comfort zone, but two, do you know how to tell someone about Jesus? Because that's what I hear all the time is, I don't know how to tell someone about Jesus. I don't know what to say. I will get tongue-tied in everything. And I, my goal today is to show you that it is one of the easiest things you've ever done. It's one of the easiest things you've ever done. Because when we become a community that knows Jesus intimately and proclaims Jesus confidently, that confidence grows every time we do it. And it becomes easier and easier and easier. And if you've ever shared your faith with someone, shared your story with someone, then you'll know that afterwards it was like, wow, that was pretty simple. I could do that again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you do it again. And you begin to get motivated. You begin to to see that there's a reason behind this. J.I. Packer uh, uh, tells us that there's a motive. What is the motive for evangelism? He says there are, in fact, two motives that should spur us constantly to evangelize. The first is a love of God and concern for his glory. 
That's the knowing Jesus intimately part of that statement. When we have a love of God and a concern for his glory, then we begin to know him intimately. And the second is love of man and concern for his welfare. And that's where you hear the phrase, love God, love people. You love God, and then you love people enough to share God with them. And so what we're going to do is I want to uh, get you to understand that when you hear the, the church word testimony, all we're talking about is your story. Share your story with other people. And there's some easy ways to do that, easy ways to get there. But what we have to realize is that when we are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called us to share our story with all those that come in, we come in contact with. In fact, Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says this, Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He's saying, go tell people. Go tell. Tell them all about the things that I've done in your life. And then he gives us a promise and he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. That right there should be the first barrier overcome. I'm not brave enough or strong enough or, or, or courageous enough to go do that. Well, you've got support. Jesus is going to be with you. I, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because when we share our story, we proclaim Jesus confidently. So I'm going to just share my opinion with you. And it is that. It is my opinion. But I believe that the most impactful way to evangelize is through relational evangelism. Relational evangelism. Building a relationship with someone in order to share Jesus Christ with them. Now I know that there are people in this world that are gifted in what I call guerrilla evangelism. And if you don't know what guerrilla evangelism is, it's somebody pulls up to a shortstop, gets out, starts pumping gas, and boom, someone's there with the Bible to share Jesus with them. They're like, where did you come from? And they're like hiding out in their ghillie suits, you know, in the bushes ready to jump on you, ready to share the gospel with them. There are people that are extremely gifted in that. God has given them that gift, and they do a great job with that. That is not me. I'm an extroverted introvert. So for me to walk up to someone I've never met before, my mind tells me all the bad things that are about to happen to me when I do that. But when you build a relationship with someone, when you start to build trust with someone, it makes it a little bit easier because you begin to share life with them. And really, I think it's a model that comes from Jesus. Because for each and every one of us in this room, we must remember that Jesus desires a personal relationship with you. Jesus desires a personal relationship with each of us. How do we know that? Well, he tells us in John 15, 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me and I in you. I'm not falling off the stage. I'm going to trip over a mic stand. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't have a branch without the vine. You can't have a tree branch living without the trunk. There's a relationship that goes there. And Jesus is saying, I desire to have that relationship with you. And so that right there tells us that he wants to be with us, which makes it so much easier for us to then in turn build a relationship so other people can learn and know Jesus. 
we have to realize that Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I said earlier that we're going to have to to get out of our comfort zone and do something difficult. Well, Jesus did something very difficult. Jesus walked out of heaven, and I put walked in quotes, but he walked out of heaven to save us. Now think about this. Jesus had it all. Jesus was in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, fully divine, everything. I mean, there's no problems, nothing. But because John 3.16 tells us that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, Jesus gave that up and came and lived on this earth, this same earth, this very ground that we walk on. He did that. He was born as a baby, so he had to grow up and, and, and trip and fall and do all those things and learn how to operate, learn how to walk, learn how to talk. He lived a life, a perfect life, but he still was a human. And he didn't have to do that. But he gave all that up so that ultimately we could have a personal relationship with him so that we could have that personal relationship with him. Look what he says in John 6, 38. It says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus left his comfort zone because it was God the, God the Father's will that he did that. He left the comfort of heaven, left his home, came and walked on this earth. And for us, when we fully understand that that's the sacrifice that he made, to then go through the most painful, horrific death possible, to take our sins to the cross, then that gives us, should spur us to be moved to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. We have to get out of our comfort zone. Well, if you're like me and you're an extroverted introvert, or if you want to flip it and be an introverted extrovert, however you want to say it, it's difficult to do these things, to go and talk to a random person. I want to make it very simple. All you have to do to share your story is start by walking across the room. All you got to do is walk across the room. There's somebody in your world, in your circle, in your life that you interact with that you've never built a relationship with. It might be a coworker. It might be a client. It might be your kid's teacher. Could be a waitress that you always sit at her table And you just need to reach out and begin to build a relationship with them. Introduce yourself. And I'm not good at this. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in the same waitress's section in Mason because it's not that hard to do. And never have I once asked their name or told them my name and gotten to know them, gotten to hear their story. Sharing your story begins by walking across the room, getting out of your comfort zone, getting out of your personal world for a moment and reaching out to the person that's on the other side of the room that's where evangelism starts because if we don't do that then we fall into a trap that so many christians do in this world and we don't know anybody that's not a believer and when i say we don't know anybody that's not a believer that means we don't know them well enough to actually know them we get in our little bubble and then we get in our little bubble, and then our church becomes a little bubble, and then it becomes an inward-focused church that has tons and tons of healthy, unhealthy problems. And no one's coming to get saved. And the church is not seeing baptisms. 
sharing your story begins by walking across the room. And this is what I want you to look at. When I was, when I was growing up, I did not, I was not one of those guys, and this is, let me rephrase that. I was not one of those guys that had a different date every Friday or Saturday night. Now, you can look in, at that any way you want to, but in my mind, it was because it was an investment that I could not afford. Because if you think about going on a date, it's pretty expensive, right? Take her to dinner, maybe a movie, something else. That, that's a lot of money um, to do every week, and I just didn't have that kind of money. There's an investment that was there, investment, but you had to make that investment in order to start a relationship. Well, this is what I want you to see, is when you walk across the room to someone that you don't know or someone you have not had a very strong or deep relationship with, you're making an investment. Walking across the room is an investment. When Jesus left heaven and came down to the earth, he was making an investment in each and every one of us. In fact, his investment was a sacrifice of his personal health. He lost his life for it. That was his investment. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was strategic. When he walked across the room as an investment, there was strategic, there was strategy behind that. Jesus was strategic in doing so. It says he came to seek and to save the lost. There was a specific purpose that he was coming for, a specific group of people he was coming for. He was strategic. And look at some of the people that he spent time with. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the centurion soldier, little children. He spent lots of time with little children. Saul. Jesus invested time in having a conversation with each. And Saul's conversation is a little bit different than the others. But you see that there is an investment in time. You've got to be willing when you walk across the room to begin that relationship that you're going to begin to spend time with that person. Which is a sacrifice because many of us don't have a lot of time. And it's real easy when someone starts to talk to you or starts to approach you and you start to build a relationship with them, with you to start to to try and quantify how much time is this relationship going to cost me? And do I have time to, the time to put into that? Well, if you're serious about sharing your faith with someone, then time should stand still. And you should be willing to give all the time in the world you need to to that person. Jesus invested time. He was a busy man. He had thousands of people that followed him everywhere he went. You think he really always wanted to stop and spend time with them? I think yes, because he did. And that's one of the things that sets him apart from us because I'd be like, oh, I just need a breakaway. I just need to step aside. In fact, every pastor I know or have heard, they always have an airplane story. You know what I mean by that? Pastor's flying across the country and he sits down and Oh, there's, there's this person next to him that says, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, tell me everything about it. That's never happened to me. One, I don't fly on an airplane very much. But two, I get on the airplane, it's like put my headphones in and get into my own little world. But there was a moment a few months ago that I failed in this area. 
And I'm going to be very transparent to you, and I'm going to tell you I failed in this area. We, we had a very, very busy summer. I mean, we moved here at the end of January, and Mandy wasn't here until June. She got here. We were in the middle of buying and closing on a house, trying to get the girls ready for their first, year, first full year of school, get Mandy ready for her new job. Everything was going on. And we were like, we've got to get away. We've got to get away to rest, and this is the only moment that we're going to get to do it. So we snuck away to Galveston for a couple, three days, and, and the goal was to just get there and rest. That's our happy place. When we can go to the beach and just sit and do nothing, that's our happy place. And so one night, um, me and the girls were down by the pool at the, the, the place we were staying, and uh, the girls were swimming, and I was just sitting on one of the chairs next to the pool, and there was this, this group of people next to us that were of the unsavory sort, um, to, to put it lightly, um, based on their, their, I was judging them on their look, and the number of tattoos that they had, um, plus the language that was coming out of their mouth. Um, they just were not the type of people that I really would ever find myself associating with. Um, and I just felt this tug at my heart saying, you need to go ask that guy what he knows about Jesus. And I was like, no. And I sat there more and more, and I just kept feeling this tug and feeling this tug. And then I started telling myself, dude, you're on vacation. You're not a pastor right now. You're here to rest. Just turn that part off. You don't need to do that. He might beat you up. And I talked myself out of it. And then I left the pool area that night and never saw him again. And I'm going to tell you, honestly, that haunts me. Because chances are, if I did that in Mason, I might run into that person again. I don't think I will ever see this person again. And I don't know if anyone else will ever feel that tug at their heart to share Jesus with him. And I miss that. Jesus took advantage of those opportunities. And I didn't. And I've asked God for forgiveness on that, and I know he's given me that. But, but what I say to you is, are you strategically invested in anyone? I was going to have to come up with a strategy to talk to him because he's going to be like, who is this guy? This chubby, overweight dad who's probably going to tell me some really bad dad jokes. I was going to have to be strategic with him. I was going to have to come up with a strategy of how I could talk with him to get him to look at me and understand that I wasn't there just to give him a hard time or to look down upon him. I was there to give him the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Who are you strategically invested in in your life? Because you've got to invest in someone to build a relationship with them. And the first thing you have to do is invest, when you're going to share your story with them, is you have to invest in building a relationship first. Because we live in a skeptical, cynical world, right? And, and the, the, more, the more people hear about people talking about Jesus, the, it feels like they get more and more skeptical. And I'm going to tell you this, um, you guys have it easy when it comes to this. Because as a pastor, people don't want to talk to me. They find out, like I don't understand the airplane stories because those guys are like, yeah, I told them I was a pastor and they wanted to know everything about me. I tell people I'm a pastor and it's like I'm a pariah. They run to the other side of the world to get away from me because they're scared of what I'm going to talk about. You guys have it easy. You guys have it very, very easy. 
But you got to invest in building a relationship with them first. When you invest in that, you get them to begin to trust you. Now, one of the things that I've heard a lot since I've moved here, and I've heard it over the years, but a lot since I've moved here, is people that are interested in Jesus, that want to know more about Jesus. And you start to talk to them, and then you say, yeah, I go to the Baptist church, and that wall goes up, right? Oh, I could never go to the Baptist church. And I'm like, the Baptist church is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. And the only way that we can get past that wall of the Baptist church is if we take the time to invest in people and show them that we are different. Because I love when people come and visit us and then as they're leaving or, or if I talk to them a few days later, they're like, man, that was nothing like what we thought the Baptist church was. I'm like, yeah, because we're seeking Jesus. We're not seeking the Baptists. We just want to find Jesus. And we want to invest in you so that you can find Jesus. So when we invest, when we build, a, build this relationship, then we have to look at it also as it's an invitation. We walk across the room to invest in a relationship with someone, but we also walk across the room to invite them. And we invite them into a relationship with us. We invite them into a relationship with us. If you look at Matthew 4, 18 through 22, Jesus invites them into relationship to him. This is when he calls the disciples. And he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers. He sees Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus invited them into a relationship with him. When we invest in a relationship with someone, we have to invite them into a relationship with us. We have to give them a reason to want to be with us, to be around us. So how do you do that? Well, one, you make it not all about you in the beginning. You listen to them. You hear them. You discover things about them. You find out about them. Think about when you were dating and you would go on a date and all the other person would do would talk about themselves. And you're like, ah, oh, I can't wait for this date to be over. But the, peop- the, 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 the man or the, the woman that would look at you and, and ask questions about you, you felt like they really cared and they were investing in getting to know you. And that's how we re- re- invest in these relationships to get to know others so that we can share Jesus with them. So that we can share Jesus with them. It gives us an invitation when we, after we've invited them to begin a relationship with us, it then gives us an invitation to share our story with them to share the things that God has done with, for us. And in fact, Scripture tells us that we are created to do that. Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says, For you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled to other, people, other people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden 
nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives lights to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When you become a believer, there is a light that shines in you. And people see it and want to know about it, and that's how you tell your story. And so it's an invitation when, they, when, when you get to know them, you build a relationship with them, and, and they begin to see things about you, and they ask, start asking you questions, then you can tell your story about what Jesus has done. And it doesn't have to be this deep, theological, wordy church story. It's just you. What has God done for you? And in that, when you're able to accurately say, I was this, I was going through this, and someone introduced me to Jesus, and now I'm this. And you tell the truth, and you're authentic, and you're not making things up or or building this grand testimony out of thin air, but you're real and say, I was here, and I discovered Jesus, and now I'm here. Wouldn't you like to do the same? You give them an invitation to begin a relationship with Jesus. Because they can't have a relationship with Jesus without an invitation. That invitation, we can show them that invitation, but that invitation really, the invitation can come from us, but, but the actual drawing has to come from God. John six forty four says, No one can come to the Father No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The Father has to place a call on your life. Now, I believe that that call comes from God, but it's up to you to accept that call. And evangelism can be painful in the sense that when you share your story with someone and you give them that invitation, there's a very good chance that they might say no. In fact, there's a greater than zero chance that they're going to say no. We have a couple people in our church that have been baptized in the past few months that have said no for years. And in fact, they would even say, I can't believe you believe that. And then God got a hold of them and they accepted that call. No one can come to the Father, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. One of the best books I've ever read on this subject is called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by a guy named J.I. Packer. I gave a quote from it earlier. I want to give you another quote because this is one we have to understand. Evangelism is man's work, but the giving of faith is God's. You are merely the messenger. You can't go and save someone. And this is where we as uh, churches have failed a couple generations by making evangelism into contests in youth group and mission trips. How many can you get saved? What was your number today? And we start to think, oh, we're the ones that are saving them. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him near. All you can do is share your story and then pray that God would place that call on that person's life and that they would accept it. So I asked you, who are you strategically invested in? I want to also ask you, who in your life needs an invitation? Who in your world needs an invitation? Think about that for a minute. Who are you strategically invested in and who in your world needs an invitation? And then I want us to look real quick at why should I share my story? What does it matter? 
I'm a lowly person that lives in Mason, Texas. I'm not really impacting the world. Well, my story should be shared because my story is part of God's story. My story is part of God's story. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us in his image for good works that we should walk in them. And so when my story is told, it is God's story. I read a book several years ago um, from, from one of my baseball, favorite baseball players who had, had undergone addiction and uh, had, had found Jesus through that addiction and, and, and was uh, on his way to, to redemption. And he had a bunch of tattoos that he'd gotten when he was, when he was under the, the, the entrapment of his addiction. And, and somebody asked him, do you regret your tattoos? And he said, no, because every tattoo tells a part of my story. And in that, every tattoo for him that told a part of his story was telling part of God's story. Because your story is part of God's story. And when you share your story as part of God's story, it also becomes part of stories that have yet to be written. Because there are people in this world whose stories have not been written yet. Their stories of salvation have not been written. The stories of celebrating God, grabbing hold of them and changing their life have yet to be written. And if you're not willing to go and share your story with them, it's going to be hard to be a part of writing their story. So the last question I have for you today is who needs you to walk across the room to them? Who needs you to walk across the room? Now I told you of one of my failures just a few minutes ago, but I want to tell you a story about a guy named Brad. Brad and I waited tables together in college, and we worked the lunch shift, and most people didn't want to work the lunch shift, so we worked the lunch shift, and every day after we got off work, we'd go across the parking lot to the pool hall, and we'd shoot pool, and we would just sit there and spend a couple hours each day just talking, just getting to know each other, and over time, those, relation, those conversations grew deeper, and that relationship grew stronger, and we turned to spiritual things. Now, if you saw me and Brad on the street, we would look like we had nothing in common. And we really didn't. The only thing we had in common was that we worked at the same place. But as those conversations turned deeper and began to turn more spiritual, Brad began to ask many questions that I did not know I was competent enough to answer. And over time, Brad gave his life to Christ through those conversations. I could have gone and done other things. I probably had homework I should have done. But I just enjoyed being with him. I didn't know that that was going to be the end result of that relationship. I just enjoyed being with him. Enjoyed shooting pool and hanging out with him. And then the coolest thing on earth happened. Who do you need to walk across the room to? And it might be someone you can't imagine. If you look at the book, Acts chapter 9, it's the story of Paul's conversion. And Paul experienced Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was blinded. But in that conversion, there's a guy named Ananias. And Ananias has a dream. And listen to a few things that are said. 
there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. First thing Ananias does here is he says, here I am, Lord. He was responsive to God's call. When I was in Galveston, I was like, I'm off duty. My Uber app is closed. I'm not doing this right now. Lord says to him, rise and go to the street called Straight and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And Ananias answers in verse 13, says, Lord, I have heard many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He's got the authority to hurt me, God. He could do bad things to me. I don't think I want to do this. And the Lord says to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. So Ananias departs and enters the house, and he lays hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. Do you think Ananias went to bed that night thinking, I'm going to have a dream tonight? That's going to change the entire course of human history. But he was available. And even though he didn't want to, he felt God pressing upon him. And he decided, I'm going to walk across the room. And I'm going to go see this man that God told me to go see. And we're going to see what happens. Who needs you to walk across the room? Who in your life needs you to walk across the room? And I'm going to give you a little challenge this morning, a little application for this. Um, I've placed pins in, um, on the inside of each aisle here. So if you would just kind of pass them down, um, if you could. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take that pin, and then I want, to take, I want you to take your shoe. And on the bottom of your shoe, I want you to write the name of the person that you need to walk across the room to. I want you to write that name. If you don't have a name right now, I encourage you to get that name today. Write that name on the bottom of your shoe, and you're going to be like, I'm not ever going to see that again. Well, here's what I want you to do. So then I want you to take your phone, and I want you to set a reminder for 5 o'clock next Sunday that just says shoe. And then I want you to look at your shoe next Sunday at 5 o'clock and see how worn off that name is. And then remember, did I walk across the room or did I turn and run? Because you don't know what's going to happen when you walk across the room and begin to share your story. Every person that has ever come to know Jesus has someone else that's part of their story. You could be part of that story. And that is my challenge to you. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that this church, church body become focused on sharing your story their story as part of your story 
with those around them, that they have the courage to walk across the room, to introduce themselves if necessary, or just say, hey, we work together, we're around each other a lot, our kids hang out together, let's go have lunch, or let's go grab a cup of coffee. Let's get to know each other a little bit better and begin to invest in that relationship. And over the course of that relationship, I ask that you then invite, allow them to invite them to hear their story and to learn about you and what our relationship with you is, Lord. That you loved us so much that you would send your son so that he could walk out of heaven, give up all the greatness of being in heaven to live in poverty just like us so that he could save us. Save us from death, save us from despair, save us from sin, and give us eternal life. Because that's what matters. And we thank you for that gift that you've given us.